0: Speaking of politics, it's always a pleasure to welcome Sarah Westwood, investigative reporter for the Washington Examiner, to the show. Sarah, how are you?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, it's, it's our pleasure. Thanks. I've read a couple of pieces that you've written uh, lately, and one in particular really, it, uh, we around here think it's one of the great under-discussed stories in America, and that is a uh, People's trust in the voting system, people's belief in the fidelity of the ballot. And you've written a piece uh, recently about various states moving in in, in different directions in terms of who votes how. Can you give us kind of an overview of what's happening?
1: Sure. You know, I I think that this was a, a much bigger deal at the federal level last year and early this year in January. You know, President Biden gave a big speech about voting rights. Kamala Harris was focusing intently on this. And it's lost a lot of steam at the national level. There was not enough traction to get any sort of meaningful voting reforms through Congress. So now you're seeing these fights play out state by state. And New York and California in particular have taken elements of what was then the H.R. 1 for the People Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, some legislation that had a lot of very um, significant structural changes to voting laws and tried to implement them on the state level. And so you could see a lot of changes in this midterm election come November. A lot of states have tried and some have even succeeded in making permanent the type of temporary solutions that were put in place to accommodate public health concerns during the pandemic, like sending absentee ballots to every voter, which is something that is going to be now a permanent feature of California voting.
0: Right. I saw in your article that uh, the Wisconsin Supreme Court went in the other direction. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, this was a significant blow to the left-wing agenda when it comes to voting, but the Wisconsin Supreme Court looked at the way the state's law is currently written and said that the law, as as it stands, does not allow for unattended ballot boxes, which means that if precincts want to have ballot drop boxes where someone can fill out their absentee ballot at home, maybe they don't want to drop it in the mail for whatever reason, they feel more comfortable leaving it in a box, they have to have a, a... Physical person there monitoring the Dropbox if they want to have this option for voters. And that's a really expensive, logistically challenging way. To, to do drop boxes is why you typically see them being unmanned, because that, that sort of manpower, full-time manpower, uh, is hard to come by in, in elections. You also have in Wisconsin um, a ban now from the state Supreme Court on what critics call ballot harvesting, which is basically where any third party, sometimes political operatives, can collect absentee ballots ostensibly to help people who can't necessarily get to the polls uh, and drop them off in bulk at you know county clerk's offices or at these drop boxes that also is not compatible with Wisconsin law as it stands. Now voting rights advocates will say, you know, this this hurts elderly people or disabled people who might not be able to get out of the house to submit their absentee ballot. But that's why the vote by mail system exists in the first place. It existed for people like, you know, the disabled and the elderly who can't necessarily get to the polls. And so that option, voting by mail is still available to people now that ballot harvesting is, is banned in Wisconsin.
0: Right. I remember it was a couple of election cycles ago that a Republican was booted out of Congress and the uh, election had to be reheld in North Carolina because the, uh, the various operatives engaged in ballot harvesting, which is illegal in roughly half the states, I think, or it's like 22 to 23 or something like that. I don't, do you happen to know that number offhand?
1: I don't, but that sounds think, about right. It's a 50-50 or, or, you know, give or take a couple states
0: right right and uh, this is clearly editorializing and you can join in or not depending on your your wishes but um what what we've been saying around here is that people ought to be able to vote certainly and and mail in uh, bo- voting for old folks or disabled or whatever that's nobody is against that but the idea of one guy showing up with 15 ballots is it's damaging to the credibility of the electoral process even if there are reasonable safeguards in place to make sure every one of those votes is is legit, and and honestly, I don't find the safeguards uh, strong enough. But just that very idea of a guy with a stack of ballots it bothers people.
1: It does, and I think you know a lot of these the liberalization of the vote by mail rules in states like Pennsylvania, New York, and California those were done under the pretext of the pandemic, and they were all built as temporary measures. And now, any effort to go back to what the pre-pandemic standard was is being decried as voter suppression. And so, you know, this was sort of a bait and switch that a lot of these Democrats did when it comes to the voting laws. In Texas, for example, a lot of the changes that Texas made in their voting reforms that they passed last year was just stripping away some of those pandemic policies, like 24-hour voting or, like, drive-through voting, which occurred in some precincts. In urban areas, that was attacked by Democrats as you know taking away people's right to vote. Even though at the time Democrats insisted that those measures were never meant to be temporary, so there is a lot of sort of rhetorical deception uh, around this voting issue. That's no longer you know in the national spotlight because again, this is playing out in the states, but you know those fights mm-hmm. are still happening.
0: Sarah Westwood, investigative reporter for the Washington Examiner on the line. In the a uh, couple of minutes we have left, you did another piece on if House Republicans indeed take the I'm sorry, if, if Republicans take the House, which is expected, that they are going to launch their own bunch of investigations into the Biden administration. I'm not sure how much I love this government by investigation that, that seems to be popular these days. Uh, but w- what will they be investigating and who's going to do it?
1: Yeah, so we are seeing House Republicans start to lay the groundwork for what those investigations are going to look like and what committees are going to be the venue for those probes, even though they're not in the majority. They don't have subpoena power or necessarily the power to set the agenda and call witnesses. They can't send letters and requests and inquiries. And so we're starting to see that. Uh, For example, the House Oversight Committee, uh, Congressman James Comer is the ranking member, largely expected to be the chairman. If Republicans take the House in November, he's already started sending requests to the Treasury Department for what's known as suspicious activity reports or reports that are automatically generated uh, when business transactions internationally potentially raise red flags, all the suspicious activity reports related to Hunter Biden. So he's sort of starting to lay the groundwork there for what will probably be a pretty robust investigation of Hunter Biden's business dealings. The House Administration Committee, which, you know, oversees the sort of administrative stuff associated with Congress, is already sort of gearing up to investigate why Capitol Police didn't have more security on January 6th. Why were they caught so flat-footed? And you have Republicans sending requests to the January 6th committee asking them to preserve all their emails and documents because Republicans are gearing up to do a pretty aggressive investigation of the investigators of January 6th to see, you know, was any witness coerced uh, or threatened with financial ruin, you know, if they didn't testify, were people's rights trampled on by this aggressive, you know, made-for-TV investigation? So Republicans really positioning themselves to do some some aggressive investigating if they do win in November.
0: Well, and I understand the House Judiciary Committee might be looking at uh, Anthony Fauci?
1: That's right. As Congressman Jim Jordan really interested in Anthony Fauci, sort of the face of this unpopular COVID response. The Republicans are interested in how and why he shifted so dramatically his position on the lab leak theory, the theory that COVID-19 escapes from a, a virology lab at Wuhan, and that's how it starts spreading in China, which is a pretty now publicly accepted likely possibility for how the pandemic began, but Fauci has not not really explained why he went from totally dismissing this theory to reluctantly embracing it. And there are a lot of questions about, you know, NIH's funding of grants that contributed to research at that virology lab in Wuhan. And so those are the sorts of things the Republicans are going to be looking into. And, you know, that could be pretty uncomfortable for, for Dr. Fauci.
0: Sarah Westwood of the Washington Examiner. Follow her on Twitter. Read her uh, at thewashingtonexaminer.com. Sarah, hey, thanks very much for the time.
1: Thanks for having me. Armstrong.